You're listening to a podcast of Master Your Finances with me, Kurt Baker, a certified financial planner professional. Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. on 1077thebronc.com. Another day, another dollar, and our certified financial planner professional, Kurt Baker, will give you the tips you need to turn that single into a sea of green with Master Your Finances. Whether you have enough to get by or too much in your pockets, Kurt Baker and his weekly guests are here to show you how to manage it all. Master Your Finances is underwritten by Certified Wealth Management and Investment, LLC. Now listen up, because it's time to get a hold of those money matters and master your finances. Good morning and welcome back to another edition of Master Your Finances, presented by Certified Wealth Management and Investment. I am Kurt Baker, a Certified Financial Planner Professional. I'm located in Princeton, New Jersey, and I can be reached to our website, which is www.cwmi.us, or you can call me directly at 609-716-4700. This week, we are very pleased to have with us uh, two of the prominent attorneys of um, Kingston Law Group. We have Hanan uh, Isaacs, who is a mediator, arbitrator, and trial lawyer with offices in Kingston, New Jersey, an experienced commercial and personal injury arbitrator, formerly for the American Arbitration Association's New Jersey Regional Office. Mr. Isaacs is also known as an accredited professional mediator in general civil and divorce matters by the New Jersey Association of Professional Mediators. He is also the chair of NJAPM's Mediation Ethics Review Board and has served for five years. He was NJAPM's uh, president from 99 to 2001. His practice emphasizes uh, employment litigation for workers, business litigation, personal injury law, family law, alternative dispute resolution in those fields, and criminal defense. As well, we have Misty Avalone, who is originally from Houston, Texas, which is uh, Kind of what it feels like here in New Jersey at the moment. Very, very hot. <laughs> um, with a BA in English and a minor in political science from LaSalle University in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Misty worked for the firm of Hanan Isaacs for a year as a paralegal and then attended Western Michigan University, Cooley Law School in Lansing, Michigan, and received her JD in September 2011. Misty's licensed in both Pennsylvania and New Jersey, and since becoming an attorney, uh, she has presented employees in civil laws, represented employees in civil lawsuits against their employers in both private and public sectors. And she's also experienced in matrimonial matters, including child support, custody, parenting time, alimony, and equitable distribution, as well as uh, domestic violence matters. So you guys have a huge array of stuff. And much of this we've seen some changes in uh, over the last year or two with some of the, the legal changes um, and tax law changes. So um, maybe we can start with that, Hanan, maybe some of the things you've seen going on and where, what we should be focusing on right now as far as from a legal perspective. Well, I'm going to cover the employment law piece <laughs> okay. because that's what I spend most of my time doing. Okay. Although Misty and I work together on family law matters as well as employment law. So in uh, the employment law area, just in the last year, there have been some major shifts. Uh, the governor has signed into legislation, uh, a couple of, of laws from the legislature. Uh, one of them has to do with um, whether somebody has to sign a non-disclosure agreement as part of a settlement. Say a worker has been the victim of sexual harassment mm-hmm. and the employer says, look, we're not admitting it. We're not denying it. We're just going to pay you to go away. And as a condition of you getting your X tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars, or in the, in the case of 
that um, Fox News person, mm-hmm. um, uh, Gretchen Carlson. Carlson, she got twenty million bucks, as I recall. Mm-hmm. Um, so they'll always say, as a condition of getting the money, you have to sign this document that says, "I will not tell anybody that I got any money, and I sure won't tell them how much I got." Mm-hmm. Um, I won't even tell them necessarily what it was about. Right. So the legislature responding to the Me Too movement, which sprang up about two years ago, uh, is basically saying, and the governor signed it, uh, we don't like the fact that somebody can be a repeat offender and mm-hmm. nobody can ever call them out. So this way, what, what the, this is so crazy, but this is the law. Uh, the employer can put a provision in there, but it has to say, warning, this may not, may not actually bind anybody. It's just a disclosure, a disclaimer right to the employee, who also is probably going to have a lawyer anyway. But why would they have to do that? Because the employee may not want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. So if they don't have to, why make them do that? And so you basically say, if you want to, you can violate it. Well, when might that happen? When a Jeffrey Epstein shows up or um, the, the Weinstein shows up where there's 10, 15, 50 people you may just want to say, me too, that happened to me, and that non-disclosure is no longer binding. So that happened. They're, they also did something about you can't force people to go to arbitration in New Jersey with a prepackaged form that says, I will uh, arbitrate all my claims against you, the employer, and the employee doesn't really have a choice about that. They're either going to sign it or it's part of a handbook. It's usually the condition of employment. As a condition of employment. So now the legislature has said, the governor signed this, starting this year uh, and going forward, you can't condition um, the agreement to arbitrate, or rather you can't condition the job on the agreement to arbitrate. Yeah, because you see those arbitration clauses everywhere. They're everywhere. I mean, anytime you sign an agreement with anybody. We haven't haven't been in our office. (laughs) But starting now, we're only allowed to do that for things that don't involve sexual harassment and discrimination under the, the general law against discrimination. Okay. So if it's a contract breach or a money thing, yeah, maybe that'll happen. But the thing is, the way that the U.S. system is set today, the U.S. Supreme Court is pretty likely to knock that provision out mm-hmm. because their interpretation of the Federal Arbitration Act is states can't pick and choose with these things. Yeah, I was going to ask you, like, how can you do it for one particular set of legal circumstances and not for another set of legal circumstances? It kind of, sounds kind of interesting to me. Though. Well, the the law could do that. That's legal discrimination in that sense. Okay. But, but the feds get the last word. So if the Supreme Court okay. of the United States on somebody's challenge says New Jersey was wrong about that, then it's going to reverse to the way that it had been before. So is this something that we see, like, happening around the country, or is this just a kind of a New Jersey there thing at this point? There are other states that are right. looking at – the NDAs, definitely. Okay. There are some jurisdictions that are interested in the arbitration shift, but New Jersey is one of the first to do that. The legislature just said, listen, this isn't right. And by the way, the U.S. Supreme Court, all it's doing is interpreting a federal act from 1925. Wow. And they interpret it and reinterpret it over the, case, over the, the past 80, 90 years to the point where they've locked it down that if you have this provision, unless it's absolutely unconscionable it's going to apply so now new jersey comes along and goes not when it comes to these discrimination cases but the u.s supremes could say we disagree unless federal congress says no worker should be 
mandated to arbitration. Right, legislation. Mostly what we like is when it comes after the dispute starts, that it's not forced on people even before anything happens as a condition of employment. Day one, boom, the arbitration clause is in place. So does that affect current employees? If, if, you're, already un, if you're already employed, as an example, like I've already signed this ar- arbitration, arbitration issue. So is this because it's a legislative decision? Do they say, hey, look, these old clauses no longer apply to these employees who signed it initially, and now they have a discrimination suit and they're trying to settle? And What a great question. I think the answer is that it's time sensitive. It starts okay. from now going forward. As you say, going backwards, probably a, a trouble. Well, and typically, it. employees should be signing a new handbook or a new agreement right. yearly right. if they're keeping up with it. Right. Yeah, that's so the, another issue. Right. So the <laughs> point is, rarely do that exactly. as to. <laughs> In my office, we have people who've been with us for a number of years. Right. So they're stuck with the old system. The new folks, I will have to modify it to say, um, these types of disputes, you can take me to court if you want. Right. Those other ones over here, we're still going to arbitration. That's how that would happen in a regular, you know, business. I might just scrap it. We'll see. Right. Interesting. Well, it's you know, there there you go. Something happens out there in society and we're reacting and now we're going to see what happens, right? Exactly right. So, um, so I guess the process is going to work its way out now at this point. Right. right. The important point to take away from that is that business owners need to review that with their you know, company attorney right. and with their employees and make sure they're keeping that up to date and everybody's on the same page. Yeah, no one likes surprises. Sexual harassment issues to begin with, and then we don't have to worry about the clause. Right. <laughs> it's not going to happen anytime soon, I don't believe. We can at least try. No. So, um, True. Wow. So that's something to definitely keep your eye on, especially as an employer, right? Yes. And, uh, and to understand your rights as an employee. So if something does happen, obviously you need to have an appeal process. I know. I know my wife worked for a large company, and they started adding these like 800 lines and things you could call. I yes. think a lot of employers have these now, so you because they're always worried about if I report certain things, am I going to lose my job? Am I going to lose my advancement potential and all these things? Right. But I know there's ways to, and I'm hopeful that companies have this kind of process in place more than they used to, right. at least. That topic is national, right. without question. Yeah. Do you in New Jersey? Our Supreme Court said many years ago. If an employer puts a grievance process in place and makes it mandatory and an employee fails to invoke it mm-hmm. and later comes back and says, so-and-so in the shipping department was sexually harassing me, the employer can say, I get a pass right. because you never used the process that ah. was required. Now, if the person who's doing the bad behavior is a high-level person, supervisor and mm-hmm. up, then the information is uh, to use a fancy word, imputed back to the company. It's kind of like they had the knowledge. Right. Or they should because have. Because they were high enough up already. Right. But person, if it's right. lower level, mm-hmm. um, you got to report it. Right. And you you can't complain if you didn't say what happened. That's why they put right. those in, in place. Right. So definitely use it if there's something happens. So, all right. So thank you. We're going to, there's a lot more to talk about. So mm-hmm. we'll be right back in just a few minutes. You're listening to Master Your Finances. It's not about the money. It's all about how you manage your money. Now let's get back to learning how from Kurt Baker of Certified Wealth Management and Investment with Master Your Finances. Welcome back to Master Your Finances. I'm Kurt Baker, Certified Financial Plan Professional, here with Hanan Isaacs and Misty Avalone. And we've been talking about some important changes in employment law and uh, very specifically about um, harassment cases and the arbitration clause and how some cases 
that is not necessarily going to be enforceable, but we'll have to wait and see how that f flows. Um, as Hanan was just saying, so we're not really sure, but things going forward are going to be a little bit different. So understand your rights and understand what you're signing as an employer and as an employee. And in speaking of that, when somebody goes to get a gain employment, what types of questions uh, are allowed and what maybe one isn't allowed? So that process itself, since like obviously it's changing a little bit, what kinds of things that should employers and employees be aware of as far as that initial interview process? So this is a really important topic because anytime a person goes in for an interview, and these days it may not be in person, it might be done by video. That happens more and more. Um, that, that individual is not likely to quibble and push back when the representative is sitting there, an HR person or a director or manager of some kind. And if that person says, um, so have you ever been convicted of a criminal act? Now, mind you, a lot of this could be and often is on a form that you fill out beforehand, mm -hmm. right? And I say to people, I, I do some teaching on this sub subject, just because it's on the form doesn't mean they're entitled to ask. Right. Okay? So in New Jersey and some other states, and even Philadelphia as a city, um, there's a law that says, they call it ban the box. And the box is the checkoff box that has to do with, have you ever been convicted of a crime? And we're not talking a parking ticket or, you know, a driving ticket. We're talking about... Uh, in other jurisdictions, we might call it a felony. You know, okay, New felony, Jersey, I'm saying a crime could be a lot of things. Right, but we're talking about more serious things. Or it right. could be what they call in New Jersey a disorderly person's uh, well, thing. Well, I know in the financial industry, if you have a, a you know embezzlement issue against you, they can't put you in charge of the cash. Right. Necess they would so, really think hard about that, I think. I'm, <laughs> I'm not sure in that industry if they got a pass on this or right. not. Because some but, industries is kind of important from a security and a Fiduciary well, responsibility standpoint. That's right. another yeah. layer. For example, right, right. Law, law enforcement is going to be exempt from all of it. Right. But right. I'm saying your yeah. general job that you apply for. Right. So I'm going right. to go work for a restaurant or if I'm going to go Right. Work, or you know, it could be things, things uh, like go to work for a CPA, go work for a law firm, whatever. Okay. And um, the question somebody might want to ask, and right. back a few years ago and way back, it was, have you ever been convicted of a serious criminal act? Yes, no. If so, give right. details. Okay. That's no longer legal. And a lot of okay. employers don't know that. Oh, so it's still in their form that they probably... Right. Or they might just ago. ask it routinely, like, <laughs> have you or have you not? Okay. So, I mean, it's going to... It would take too long to discuss, I think, how do you get around that if you're the person on the wrong end of that question? Right. Because you don't want to lie. But the fact right. is the employers who are aware of the law know you're not supposed to not only ask it, you're not even allowed to do a criminal background check on this person in the first round of interviews and maybe the second round. Okay. When it gets to the final round, they can finally look. Now, why is that? Because the idea is people come out of prison yep. and they become functionally unemployable. Right. Because I if anybody that yeah. knows that that happened, right. they're going to send them out the door. So here's the idea. Let the employer fall in love with you and then they'll find out that you had a criminal well, conviction. And then they can make a decision. Can then they can decide. Or yeah. maybe they don't hire yeah. them. But it's to give yeah. those right. individuals a bit of a leg up. Just give right. them a chance. Because otherwise society ends up But I've actually paying. talked to employers who've actually hired people who are convicted of serious criminal acts. 
and they turn out to be great employees because they're very appreciative. So they're not, you know what I mean? There are right. people that definitely right. Our are office, employable. Our office has done that. Yeah. We had a client who was in the midst of a serious criminal act that right. could have been punishable by um, not just a fine but imprisonment. Right. And we felt fairly confident that she was not guilty of that. Right. And she needed a job. Right, right. So we, And she had two kids who were dependents. Right. And we right. said, you know what? We got an opening. Why right. don't you come in? Right. And she did fine. Right. We had no problem. And we worked out her deal. That right. She didn't have That's to great. Well, she go got two jail. pluses there, right? Employment and <laughs> exactly <laughs> justice at the same time. So uh, uh, other ones could be pregnancy, right? Pregnancy. I remember year, many years ago, my wife um, was pregnant and went for a job interview. And she said to me, should I be telling that to the um, recruiter? Should I be telling it to the people? I said, Heck no. That's something that's nobody's business but yours. Why? Because when you give birth and maybe a little bit before, you're disabled. You're, you are disabled temporarily for that event. It's not event. permanent disability. It's not permanent. <laughs> no. So you go in, you get the job. It's a different kind of they fell in love with you. They fell right. in love with you and they want to offer you the job. Right. There's nothing they can look up about your pregnancy. Right. It's up to you to say or not. And I say not. Right. Because then when you have the job, X months later, you're going to say, I'll be out for X weeks. Right. You know, 12 weeks, whatever it might be. Right. And then I'll come back part-time and whatever. And the job has to protect you. Right? So this is the type of thing that the employer might be desperately wanting to know. Maybe they actually had employees that they hired, trained, and those folks went off to start families and never came back. So they might deeply want to know, what about you? What about the mm -hmm. next woman sitting in front of me? What's your plan? What about your family? What are you thinking about? Right? Guess what? No can ask. Okay. And if they do, my suggestion would be don't answer it. See right. if they notice that you didn't answer the question. If it keeps coming back, you got to take your chances. You might right. want to say no. Now, does, does it matter what size the employer Because I mean, you have like, you know, a five-person company, and then you have, no. you know, on that, doesn't make any difference? On that particular item, okay. there's, there's something in New Jersey which is actually good. And when I teach this, I always ask people, where do you think New Jersey ranks from 1 to 50 on sort of beneficial towards employee relative to employer? What do, what do you think? Where we rank as far as employer-employee yeah. relationships? From one is the best, 50 is the worst. Where is New Jersey on? Are they more friendly towards employees Employee. or are they more friendly towards employers? Yeah, not just friendly, but what do you actually think? protective. I would, say, protective. I would say slightly towards employees. Slightly meaning like 25th, 24th, 20th? I think, well, I think we try at least. I think we try to be more friendly towards employees, but maybe I'm wrong. Hmm. But that's, that's so what I would say. So you'd say you'd go like 20, 18, something like that. From one, one to 18 is ahead of us. Yeah, I would. I would okay. Yeah, we're about number two. Yeah, California, other coasts, right, is always going to be out front because that's what they do. They've right. got whatever the culture is out right. there for whatever the reason. They won't even enforce non-compete agreements out there. So, right. if you want to completely rip off your employer, you got to work in California. <laughs> it works there. <laughs> it works incredibly well. They don't enforce non-competes. New Jersey will. New okay. Jersey says it's not great public policy. It is anti-competitive. It's costing right. our consumers money, but we will enforce it as long as it's reasonable in years and geographic scope. Right, because that's what I remember about non-competes is uh, because it, you can't preclude the person from gaining employment, but you can kind of restrict, like they can't work, like they can't open an office like next door to you. Right. But if they go down a town or two over, you can't say, look, I can't, 
You can't. You can't really. It, you know, there's like right. a, they, you can't stop them from being an employee somewhere. Right. See now, California, Literally. they could yeah. open up right in your right. physical space. <laughs> right, right. Apparently, so that's my recollection. That's, that's okay. going back way mm-hmm. long time ago. My recollection right. was you can't stop them from working. Right. Basically, so New Jersey is like. Remember the old Avis car thing. New right. Jersey's number two. We try harder. Okay. And we've got incredibly good. Oh, I thought that was in taxes, but okay. That doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't mean we always enforce them well or right, that the employers right, right, right. do this well. But just to know, there's a lot of statutes that do protect us. Right. And one of them is law, the law against discrimination. There are 16 categories of protected individuals. The kind of you know race, creed, color, national origin, right. gender, age, disability, mm-hmm. and a host of other things, you know. Because a lot of those were, that you mentioned were federal, like anti Right, but we go laws. beyond. So you've got more. New got Jersey more goes beyond. nine beyond the federal. Really? Feds. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. We protect overtly uh, gay individuals, um, gender oh, so identity, sexual orientation, sexual orientation yeah, that's, that's yes, right, which that's is not, not protected under federal. Yeah, right, right, correct. Right, right. Although there are some federal cases that tend to say maybe it's still protected, but. Others that say it clearly is not mentioned, so they're not going to extend the law, and the U.S. Supreme Court has not really decided that. But I'm just saying that New Jersey has a very protective environment for that. And so anything that runs afoul of those protected classes could not be asked on an interview form Uh or in the interview itself. They should not be asking you. So what do you think about your people and what you do? (laughs) How about this one? How about this? It would be illegal to say... I think you should go back to your own country. <laughs> Is that relevant today to anything you could think about? Not that that would be an unlawful question and subject that employer to potential fines. Right. As well as a discrimination claim if that individual got fired, retaliated against. Right. So it's kind of a wraparound protection, and people need to know that. That's important. Thank you, Now We're going to be right back. There's a lot more to talk about, and uh, you've been listening to Master Finances. We'll be right back. It's all about how you manage your money. Now let's get back to learning how from Kurt Baker of Certified Wealth Management and Investment with Master Your Finance. Welcome back to listening to Master Your Finance. I'm Kurt Baker here with uh, Hanan Isaacs and Misty uh, Avalone. And we've been talking about some important uh, developments in employment law and working within the employment space. So now we're going to let Misty talk a little bit about her own experiences like with the new employment law and some of the mm-hmm. new things that are going on as far as that is concerned from your perspective as well. Right. Thank you, Kurt. I was going to talk on some other topics, but Hannon mentioned some great topics that I wanted to address and basically show that we also practice what we preach and just give some examples so people out there um, can know whether or not they can relate to some of these things. Um, So Hannon was mentioning some questions you cannot ask during the interview process. And just yesterday, Hannon and I met with uh, one of our clients that we've had for a few years now. And she was our client uh, before I became pregnant with my son. My son's now 19 months old. And so we're just having a conversation about a status update in her case. And she happened to ask me uh, when I was going to have another child. And I kind of laughed uh, because my husband and I haven't even had that discussion. But more importantly, Hannon stood up to leave the room and said, I can't have that discussion. Mm -hmm. So as small as we are, and we definitely know about uh, know a lot about everyone's life in our workspace, we still try to stick to those um, employment rules that make for a 
workplace that feels safer and that, you know, we're not afraid that we're going to lose our job because Mm -hmm. we mentioned something that might be a little private. Uh, So we try to still keep those boundaries, which people need to practice a lot in the employment place. And that's really hard in a small employment area. Like when you're you're literally like right next to each other, very close to each other during the day. Absolutely. A lot of conversations. Right. And we are very close. You know, last night I sent a uh, video via text message to all my uh, co-workers, including Hannon, uh, because it was cute and it was sort of business related. But, you know, we're all that close. I think when you work in a company with 50 or 500 people or more, you probably don't do that. But you might do that with everyone in your department. Yeah, a small group, Exactly. Right, group so area, right. those are still some things that you have to remember and consider and be sensitive of when you're talking about these things that aren't necessarily legal in the workplace. And you have to be careful about joking place. around too, right? So sometimes Absolutely. people like take things, they try to use levity to kind of go over these subject matters and yes. levity doesn't necessarily translate into good policy. Right. So you have to, in certain circumstances, yes, right? Yes, you know, exactly. So you got to be careful about what right. you say and jest because it can be taken very seriously on the other end. Yes. So I'll right? just add to that. I agree with everything Misty said. You have to be really careful because we really, in some ways, don't really know each other <clears throat> on some points. Right, certain Something levels. Something that yeah. I might say joking around and Misty is sitting there listening. She could take offense to that and right. may not say anything, but may actually file a piece of paper with a manager about how she feels this or that. Or they even come across your screen and there's something on there, whether it's a joke or a caricature or, you know, something that's uh, spicier than that and say, I'm a very religious person and that is offensive to me. So it's sort of like, how do you get along in that sandbox? Quite frankly, the first thing to do is say, I apologize. Right. Yeah. Respond um, quickly. I, I think, apologize. And I have no, fast, right. to... And the, the law encourages right. that right. to be handled at that level, but it can go to the next level and the next level. And people, we've had people go through grievance processes that involve getting outside investigators to come in and right. interview everybody and then say, sometimes don't be talking to the other witnesses who are your coworkers. And some people say, well, that's not fair because how are you going to defend yourself if you can't find out what they said or get them even to be your witness? It, it can get into massive trouble. So just be sensitive. Just use good common sense, I guess right. is what I'm going to say. Right. And good the other policy. point I wanted to make, uh, because Hannon mentioned it, some, well, all workplaces have some sort of grievance process. Mm-hmm. When you're a really small office or workplace, you may not feel comfortable going to your boss. So a lot of times, you know, you might use an outside source such as paychecks or ADP or something like that. And employees have to know that they have that um, that available to them if they need to make some sort of complaint because they're not comfortable making the complaint to anyone in the workplace because it's so small. So if someone made a complaint, they would obviously know who it was because of the size of the of the workplace. Well, no, that's so, interesting. You, you mean a payroll company will actually handle this part of the? If you pay, them. they just wrote your paychecks for you. No, if you they pay them, you. they have it as a service. So the big ones do. But I just want to ask Misty a question. So, do you, can you think of an example, say, in our little workspace, where at least once a week, maybe once every two weeks, you tell me about another employee in the company who has told you something that they wouldn't tell me? Absolutely, and. I deal with it the best way I can because I'm also that person's supervisor. Mm. But I relay it to Hannon because he needs to know about it. 
right? He owns the, the workplace. He owns the firm. And we have to address it. So that person's more comfortable coming to me and talking to me about that as if I was the, you know, in-house HR person, basically. Right. Um, and I've worked for Hannon for so long. I know how to have those discussions with him and say, listen, these are things that we need to address. And whether it's addressed immediately or at an annual review, this needs to be on your radar. And sometimes that's what happens in small workplaces. Right. I think what's interesting here is, well, one, you have an employer who's willing to listen, right? Absolutely. That's a big factor, yes. So as employers, I think people have to be receptive to this information because a lot of times, especially people who have been employers for a long time, kind of get set in a certain like way of doing things and laws and rules and employees change. I mean, we talk about how millennials are coming into the workplace and they have different priorities than maybe people that are in their 50s or 60s. So it's a whole different group and just as a group and then individuals down from there. So we have to understand people on many, many levels. And bottom line is we we have to be willing to learn and evolve with the workplace and the employees that are in the workplace because that's your main, that's what your business is. When it all comes down to it, it's the employees. employees, exactly. It's the employees, all that other stuff just supports them. So I have to say, when Misty tells me this about this other person, I'm always shocked. Right. said she told you that? She didn't tell me. Right. And then I have to say, like I would, I mean, it's helpful to have children. Right. And say, you know, if their other parent comes to me and says that, I get that. Or they come to me and I have to translate it. It's just another way of dealing with the system. You know, I kind of wish that person would kind of tell me. Right. But I also understand if there's a discomfort, that's the system that we're creating. And if it works, that's fine. Right, right. As long as it ultimately gets resolved, right? Exactly. It gets communicated in some way, shape, or form. So that's kind of your system that works internally. And, and you're flexible, so you let it kind of flow the way it needs to flow. Exactly. And that's the thing. A lot of workplaces are really rigid in what they do, so it's important to be flexible. Okay. No, sounds good. No. <laughs> um, and I think that one of the other important things that Hannon touched on, and I think you mentioned, Kurt, you know, someone says an off-color joke or, you know, says something that might um, insult someone, or as Hannon said, someone sends an email and it has something on there that's insulting. Um, We have an outside source that comes into our office uh, almost weekly, and she has some of the best jokes I've ever heard. Uh, And she will say, though, you know, she'll come out and she'll say, is so-and-so here? I know she won't like this one. And then she'll just tell a couple of us, you know, and, but you have to know your workplace to right. be able to do that. And that's really difficult if there's a lot of uh, turnover at your workplace and you have new people coming in and you're not really sure what their comfort level is. And so you should always, you know, err on the side of caution and make sure, you know, you know, who, you know your audience right. is what I'm trying to say. And So you made a comment before, Kurt, about what's in essence what's happened to our workplace like can we ever get back to a place where people can just be calm and relaxed with each other and i think what misty is saying is right which is there have been some rule changes right just be aware of it like kind of like somebody put speed bumps in into the neighborhood you know or there's another there's a caution light but it doesn't mean you can't uh, travel it doesn't mean you can't in the workplace have fun with each other and be appropriate with each other it's really in, in some ways saying we're more sensitive now than we used to be, but we can right. still get along with each other. 
Right, right. I think we have to listen to the feedback of the other person. I think before I mean, you have that person who told all the jokes, then be everybody laugh, right? But certain people would be not be offended, but they wouldn't right. say anything. Those exactly. are the ones you did not hear from. Right, right. right. So now and you're now getting we're feedback. trying to make it more comfortable so for everyone. So balance is a little bit closer now, cause, exactly. Because you always have that one that did certain things and other ones that just kind of listen. Right. And, and so now it's kind of like they get a little bit of feedback. Now, yeah, which I think like, is a healthy thing. Yes, absolutely. And it was like it was the class clown in high school who decided to not really mature when they got into the workplace and they were usually the one making those jokes. And it was the people, you know, sitting in the background. Yeah, I want to laugh because I want to blend in with everyone, but it doesn't make me comfortable or it makes me very uncomfortable. But they, you know, didn't have a voice. Now they do. Hopefully. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. So we have another topic you want to talk about. We're going to come back in just a few minutes, something okay. else that's involved in the workspace that Misty wants to make sure she brings up. We'll be right back. Yes. You're listening to Master Your Finances. It's not about the money, money, money. It's all about how you manage your money. Now let's get back to learning how from Kurt Baker of Certified Wealth Management and Investment with Master Welcome Your back. Finances. Welcome Master Your Finances. I am Kurt Baker with Hanan Isaacs and Misty Avalone, and we've been talking about some important changes in the employment law and the workspace itself and how things have kind of rebalanced, I think, a little bit, where, you know, people um, have to be more conscious of how people react and how you communicate with others and really having a good grieving process, because I think ultimately that makes the workspace better for everybody, the employer and the employee. And I think in that way, we've kind of matured over the years, which is nice, but we also have to be respectful of everybody else's thoughts and so forth. And I know Misty has some other things she wants to tell us as far as stories go and some other situations in the employment space that have kind of evolved a little bit that are really important for people to understand. Right. So this is related to what Hannon was talking about when we were discussing the illegal questions that you might ask during the interview. And one of those related topics is whether or not you're planning a family because you may get pregnant and have to leave work for, you know, six, eight, 12 weeks, maybe longer. Um, and one of those uh topics that are related and something that you just talked about with communication is when that employee does return to work after having a baby, sometimes they need to pump breast milk in the workplace. And so that's a conversation that you have to have with your, at least your direct supervisor, but sometimes even the head of the company, as in my case, because we're a small company, I had to have that conversation with Hannon, uh, who obviously had no problem with it, but I'm in a very unique position a lot of people are not in the same position as me. Some of them are teachers, nurses, doctors, uh, warehouse workers, people who work in these large environments. Uh, they may not know their rights and their supervisor may not know that they have to give that woman a designated, clean, safe area in which to pump breast milk. And some women have to pump twice a day. Some women have to pump three times a day, depending on how long that workday is. And every woman is different. So uh, the law is you can't uh, make the woman pump breast milk in a bathroom. Yeah, I was going to say the restroom is what you... <laughs> That's what comes to mind. Right. And if you're watching some right. of the new Netflix shows out, one of them is Working Moms, uh, the mom had to pump in the bathroom there. As we all know, that's not sanitary. Right. So that's not right. where you want to pump your child's food. Uh, so either a separate office or allow that employee to close the door to their office and... I highly recommend putting a sign on the door that says, uh, you know, I called it uh, mommy ops 
But mommy ops. yes, uh, Operation one of mommy. My, yes, one of my close friends put a cow on the door. And uh, okay. She thought that was hilarious. Okay. Uh, right. But you know, just something that lets everyone know that you are going to be indisposed for 15 or 30 minutes, whatever the case may be, under your circumstances. Um, so now, in my unique position, I have a rather large office, and I have a door that not only closes but it also locks. Okay. So it was very easy for me to just close the door, tell everyone you can reach me by phone, um, and I'll be you know working on emails. Now you necessarily don't have to work while you're pumping. Right. Um, employees are entitled to breaks, but um, I generally kept working while I was pumping, and I even had phone conferences with people in my office while I was pumping. Right. Don't know how well you know the sound of a pumping machine, but it's very <laughs> loud and annoying, and you can hear it in the background. It's my wife had one. So. Yes. So there you go. You know exactly what it sounds like. Uh, but uh, funny story, uh, the cleaning lady had accidentally locked the door to my office one weekend, and over the weekend, the door shut, and no one could get into my office, including me. Uh-oh. So the locksmith was going to take a day or two to get to our office, and we, for whatever reason at the time, did not have keys to every single person's office Mm -hmm. door. So Hannon took it upon himself because I guess he thought that I needed to urgently get into my office. Um, He took a screwdriver and a hammer to the doorknob to get the door open. And after causing a lot of damage to it, he finally got the door open so I could access my office the next day. I did, but then it didn't lock. Right, right. Now you have the other problem. <laughs> right, exactly. So still with the sign on the door. Right. And you can still hear the pump machine. I didn't think there was going to be any problem, and I usually pretty regularly told everyone that I was going to be pumping and, you know, I'd be available in 30 minutes if they needed me. Uh, our other partner, Tabitha Clark, who does a lot of estate planning and trust work and business transactional work, she was downstairs in the conference room in the middle of a deposition. And she got a huge surprise, needed someone to uh, talk to as a sounding board really quick. And she left the conference room rather quickly, ran up the stairs, ignoring the sign on my door, Oops. pushed my door open because she assumed my door would be locked right. as I'm pumping. And you know, apologized, whatever, but it does happen. And so even if you have a separate office, your door may not always lock. So it's always good to make sure every single person who may need you in the next 30 minutes to an hour knows that you're going to be indisposed. The communication is important. Exactly. And I could not tell her. I did not think to tell her because I knew she was in the middle of a deposition. Right. So, you know, those things happen in the workplace and you kind of just got to roll with it. And, you know, it may happen. You know, it doesn't mean it's illegal. So, right. Well, accidents you know, happen, right? Sure exactly. Is. Accidents happen. And that's where you have well, to. Well, it sounds like there was an immediate apology. Line. There was a correction. There was a. Absolutely. Right, you automatically that's exactly like, right. fix the situation. And These people get yes. along really well. They <laughs> right. do. And I have to say, not defending myself, I had such fun breaking that door. Oh, my God. I'm serious. It sounded like, like an iron worker, you know, sm- taking a hammer against an anvil until that sucker broke. <laughs> so. So it's a secure office? Is that what we're saying? <laughs> it's an old, old house. It's right. over 100 years old. Right. It's been retrofitted to you know, be an office space. But wow. some ancient equipment in there. Fantastic. Yeah, that's so. fun. So, okay. Wow. That's been, uh, so, uh, yeah. So it's amazing stories. It's fantastic. <laughs> I know another area you want to talk about, some laws that have changed recently. Mm-hmm. And uh, we talk about, like, I guess any age, we talk about gray divorce, you talk about things that happen during divorce, how that, how that process is a little bit different as far as from a legal standpoint and how things 
Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if you mentioned it during the bios, but Hannon's been practicing for 40 or so years. I've been practicing for seven. And just in the last seven years that I've been practicing, I've noticed that probably in the last three or four years, we've gotten a lot more clients that are in their late 50s to their early 70s and they're divorcing. Uh, So we, you know, we didn't coin the term, but um, we consider it a gray divorce. And what happens- A gray, not great. (laughs) A gray (laughs) divorce. Although there are people who say they've had a great divorce. I had a great gray divorce. comments. Uh, But, you know, in terms of finances, when you have an older couple who's divorcing, uh, especially if they've been married for 30, 35 years, you know, they have a lot of questions regarding, well, what's going to happen to my retirement? Am I going to have to pay alimony? Maybe I retired last year. Maybe I'm thinking of retiring in the next year or two. That's always something important to address. Um, and the biggest question right now, especially with all of the healthcare changes, is how am I going to afford health insurance if we're divorced, right? right? So we have some creative solutions for some of these things. Um, And I'll start with the health insurance. Uh, A lot of times, and it just, we had a case, you know, in the last year and a half where the woman was 63 and the husband was older, 69 or 70. And they were on husband's health insurance Mm -hmm. and wife was self-employed. So for her to get health insurance at 63 years old was going to be astronomical. There wasn't enough money in the marital pot for him to either pay that ahead of time from equitable distribution or for him to pay alimony. There, This was not an alimony case anyway. Mm-hmm. So she was panicking. So what we did is we uh, fashioned a settlement agreement that they could live by for two years. And they signed that settlement agreement. It's an enforceable contract. And they lived by that settlement agreement for two years, and then when she turned 65 and she could uh, qualify for Medicare, Medicare, we put the final divorce through, Okay. and then they were divorced. So they acted as if they were divorced for two years, right. and then we finally put it through, meaning uh, they acted as if they were two totally separate people other than their obligations for their adult child, but because he had some sort of special needs, um, they treated him as a minor, basically. Okay. And... Uh, they lived by that, but neither one of them could get remarried, obviously, because they did not. Right. (laughs) Similarly, some people get what's called a divorce from bed and board, and some financial institutions and some employers recognize that, but not all. So as your attorney, if you have someone who asks that question, um, you have to reach out to the financial institution or the health insurance institution, rather, and the employer and ask whether or not they recognize a divorce from bed and board, because what that does is that separates the two people as if they're divorced, but it allows one person to remain on the other person's health insurance, which is huge right now. Right, true. So you don't necessarily, um, you don't have to just live under the MSA, you are basically divorced, but if someone wants to get remarried, you have to do a final judgment of divorce anyway and put that through as a final so is there divorce. Like a time, I mean, how long can you do that for? It has to be somebody pretty close, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you can do, it, you can do it forever. The, oh, really? the, the basis okay. for it was religious. Okay. If you were a Catholic in 1930 right. and said, I'm not allowed to be divorced, they created this category of we're separated mm-hmm. and we're living under a, a, a document but we're actually not technically divorced. 
Okay. So they call it a divorce from we're not living, we're not sleeping together. Right. And we're not eating together. A divorce mm-hmm. from bed and board. So it's been used, it's sort of like old wine in a new bottle. Uh, we have a real problem with health insurance. Right. So we mm-hmm. do want to get separated completely as we can. We just can't bring down that final gavel until we have some opportunity under the health insurance, like the example that Misty gave with the woman. We knew at 65 we could finalize the thing. Right. And then you go so this is a certain kind of divorce planning, but the good kind. The right. parties are actually doing it together. Yeah, it's great when they can work together because then you can end up with a little bit better result for both of them. Right. Absolutely. And what becomes important, and we have talked about this in a lot of our cases, it really does take a village. And in that case, we have the person talk to not only their financial advisor, but also their insurance agent mm-hmm. to price those things out because right. we really want to know Absolutely. what we're talking about and what the bottom dollar really is. Maybe it's not as scary as that person thinks, but it could be worse than all of us assumed. And we want to know that before that person takes on that financial burden. Well, it's excellent you're, you're involving those people because that's really important. Sometimes that Absolutely. doesn't happen. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so, sometimes that doesn't happen, which is fantastic. Right. So. And on a related matter with a gray divorce, you know, they have the concern about their health insurance, but they also have that concern about well, what's happening to my retirement accounts. And that's, again, where we also need their financial advisor because we need to know what the consequences are of dividing certain things. You know, mm-hmm. we don't treat a 401k the same way we treat a pension. And right. so those things have to be looked at and we have to know what the real value is and what kind of impact that's going to have on each party, the paying party and the receiving party, right? So that's just always something that, honestly, any couple should try to address when they're going through it. But someone who's been in, say, a pension system or a 401k for a few years is going to have um, slightly less concerns than someone who's been in that system for 25 or right. 30 years and what that's going to yeah, look like. Yeah, it's definitely like. a process. So you can you know, get the valuations and take care of it. You guys have been fantastic. Right. I know we have a lot more information before mm-hmm. we're out of time. Mm-hmm. So, But thank you both for coming on. You've been listening to Master Your Finances. And I'm here with Hanan Isaacs as well as Misty Avalon of uh, the Kingston Law Group. Um, and I am Kurt Baker, a certified financial planner professional. I can be reached at 609-716-4700. You can listen to this podcast and all of our podcasts at masteryourfinances.us. And remember that together we can master your finances so you can enjoy financial peace of mind. It's hard to keep up with the fast-paced financial world, but because of Master Your Finances, you have a head start. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of Master Your Finances with Kurt Baker, our certified financial planner professional, only on 1077 The Bronx and 1077thebronc.com. Tune in next week, Sunday at 9 a.m. to get a boost on your financial planning. But if you missed a week, you can check out past episodes. Just go to masteryourfinances.us to check out past episodes and more. Master Your Finances is underwritten by Certified Wealth Management and Investment LLC. Money doesn't grow on trees, but it can grow your portfolio. Thanks to Kurt Baker and Master Your Finances. On Sundays at 9 a.m. Exclusively on 1077 The Bronx and 1077thebronc.com.